The Curse of the Broken Cross, Part 2. Muscovia could all but watch as the western prairie blackened with the approaching Turingi army. With the western lands firmly in his clutches, Adolphus now bet his destiny and the destiny of mankind on a single roll of the dice. To steer the greatest army ever known eastward. Many had tried before, none had returned, but none had gone with such an army as this. None had been led by such a leader, and none had carried with them the power of the broken cross. At the palace, the great uncle and his generals stood over a stately table. Suddenly, he broke silence by drawing a finger roughly across the map. This is the line. When his armies cross it, crush them without mercy. This is a great time for sacrifice. They will see that flesh is stronger than magic. The great uncle called his nation to battle. Forges worked through the night to fashion crude weapons. Shovel and pick turned Muscovia into a labyrinth of trenches. Every hand pressed into hurried ranks, united under the red flag. As the invaders approached, the army of the red flag set fire to every crop on the other side of the great uncle's line. Muscovia knew about sacrifice. They fought as one. But the army of the Broken Cross was a long way from home. On the horizon, the generals could faintly see the great city of Muscovia. We can sleep in beds tonight, said one general. Muscovia is ours for the taking. He had barely spoken these words when, from the sky, a great rain of fire was upon them. With delight, Adolphus's war engines embraced the oncoming blaze. The sky darkened with screeching warbirds. Half a million black boots shook the earth. Crouched in the trenches ahead, the army of the red flag awaited the approaching thunder. Men and women, by the hundred thousand, in ill-fitting uniforms, quietly muttered a last goodbye to their plows, to their loved ones. The sacrifice of one was the sacrifice of all. Adolphus's war engines, with scales no weapon could pierce, breathed fire into the storm ahead. They pushed beyond the crest, but to their horror, found themselves tumbling like toys into the trenches. The army of the red flag swarmed the squealing beasts, stabbing their soft bellies. The great uncle's plan was working. Without machines, they fight as men, he grinned to himself. The army of the red flag roared its death charge. The trenches overflowed with human lava. The collision could be heard for a thousand miles. The power of the broken cross spat a murderous firestorm, but the Turingi became more and more enraged as each of the great uncle's soldiers fell. Another filled its place. Hours became weeks, 
months. Days grew shorter. Nights grew colder. The battle raged. And for the army of the Broken Cross, victory was the only relief. To their backs, a wintry plain and certain death. Ahead, in Muscovia, was eternal life. In his mountaintop fortress, Adolphus cradled his mandrake earth baby. I have waited long enough, he spat. Where is my victory? The creature spoke. Such a victory must be earned. The winter wolf is testing your loyalty. Do not fail him now. In Muscovia, the great uncle's generals described to him the horrors. A tide of blood against a ghastly wall of steel. Day and night, a deafening roar of violence. For every one of theirs that falls, we lose ten, said one general. Then we shall storm them with twenty, roared the great uncle. I will see every man, woman, and child fall before a single one bows to the broken cross. Let Adolphus's army drown in Muscovian blood. In Turingi, Adolphus's generals told of similar horrors. Muscovians charged without emotion into Turingi's meat grinder, as if to clog it with their bones. We must make winter camp and regroup, said one general. The soldiers are cold and hungry. Traitors, stormed Adolphus. They can warm themselves to Muscovia's flames. At that very moment, on the western reaches of Adolphus's empire, the seas quietly filled with strange ships. And from those ships emerged a thousand smaller ships, spewing a horde of soldiers upon the beaches. The prime lord had kept his promise to his people. This was revenge. With Adolphus's armies facing east, locked in bitter struggle, he would seize Turingi by surprise. The Prime Lord had the nations of the world in his ranks, the mighty war machines of the United Empire, kilted pipers of the great northern nations, the turbaned infantry of the Raj, and the berserker troops of the southern continent. Then we shall fight them on our own turf, Adolphus's eyes burned with delight. Our destiny will be settled once and for all. The army of the Broken Cross now fought on two fronts. To the east, a defiant force that hurled forth missiles of human flesh. And to the west, a fresh army, their match in man and machine. Turingi was under siege. Townspeople cheered at the sight of the Prime Lord's armies. As they liberated Adolphus's conquered lands, they left light where there was darkness. But for these men in strange uniforms, the battle was not over. The battle had not even begun. The armies of the Red Flag saw a different war. They found skeleton towns where the wretched 
huddled over smoldering heaps. The bones of man and machine, parched by winter winds. Half-buried soldiers frozen in silent screams. They clutched phantom weapons. The horror to come could be smelled long before it could be imagined. Blood-drenched soldiers, hardened by the misery of battle, choked at the sight of Adolphus's prison camps. This is where the worshippers of the Golden Star and the Healing Father had been taken. This is where the Winter Wolf fed upon his sacrifices, so Turingi's flame may burn white. Human-like creatures with flesh of bone piled in stench. The living, too weak to rejoice, festered among the dead. Western skies were once again free of Adolphus's winged warriors. From across the seas, billowing smokestacks of the Empire launched magnificent flying warships. Their columns filled the sky over Turingi, unloading an industry of destruction. Below, a million lungs gasped for breath as air turned to fire. And on the ground, the Prime Lord's combined legions advanced bravely. They stormed Adolphus's fortresses. They battled hand to man in forest ambushes. They charged desperately against mammoth war machines. They paid for each mile of ground with blood and limb. Adolphus's soldiers died where they stood, in defiance, in desperation. Better to die a warrior than a coward. But in this war of resolve, the Prime Lord and his allies had no land at stake. Their families were not in the line of fire. Why then did they leave the safety of their homes, their loved ones, for this? In their hearts, they fought and fell to rid the world of darkness. They would break the world of a cursed spell. Turingi would be cured of a horrible disease, one man at a time. Below the mayhem, in his dungeon temple, Adolphus clutched his mandrake. They are upon us! Where is the power of the broken cross? Let them set foot upon our forests and mountains replied the creature. The winter wolf will defend his sacred ground. Adolphus called upon the most learned men to craft war engines more colossal than ever for his last stand. Soldiers were made of broken men, precious youths, even the disfigured. Turingi's mangled remains became a palisade fortress. Forests and mountains became a web of deadly traps. The winter wolf gnarled his hideous teeth. For the prime lord, 
This was not a war, but a race. He would thrust his armies like daggers into the winter wolf's heart. To kill the beast is to take the great city of Turingi. But which army would be first to claim the spoils? The great uncle sat quietly as his generals bickered. They had seen Adolphus's tenacity, and they knew the vicious determination of the earth gods. The beast is tamed, said one general. Let us keep what is ours. Have our people not spilled enough blood? On the great uncle's map, Turingi's shrinking empire was in black. Muscovia was a great stain of red. The army of the red flag must wipe black magic from this world, he roared. I will raise the red flag over Turingi myself. As the armies crossed the great river frontier, some villagers cheered them, their dark spells broken, those still stricken with dementia, cursed as they passed. But as they approached the great city, the winter wolf was quick to greet them. With the armies of the Broken Cross laid in waste upon the former empire, armed citizens launched vicious assaults on the trespassers. Every thrust of the dagger came at a great cost. As the fists slowly clenched, Adolphus, from his dark crypt, high priests and loyal generals around him, commanded ghost armies. Generals with courage had long thrown themselves at the mercy of the Prime Lord. Those without barricaded themselves within the great doors of the palace, while starving citizens held back the hordes outside. They threw a princely feast of the remaining stores, awaiting their fate. Turingi was little more than the very temple of the Winter Wolf. A year before, the helm of a mighty empire, now its citizens scavenged like rats. Their streets, lands, and homes a battlefield. To the west, the armies of the Prime Lord. To the east, the armies of the Red Flag. Turingi was but a smudge on the map. Adolphus gazed into the earthen patch where the mandrake had no face. The Prime Lord and the Great Uncle are no more men than me, he smiled. They will squabble over the spoils long after we are gone. But Turingi will live another day. The creature lay cold and lifeless in his arms. Adolphus met his last loyal troops at the temple steps. Boys and girls, not yet youths, their childhood spent in drills and war games, knowing no world but the service to the broken cross. They had wrestled from their desperate mother's pleas to renew their oath that day. There they stood for their master, neat as toy soldiers, 
bred to be vicious warriors, their tiny fingers clutching ghoulish weapons of a man's war. But in his madness, Adolphus saw before him his mighty army, his columns marching as far as the eye could see, his knights in shining armor, his dragons of solid steel, his warbirds with roaring engines, machines to blacken the skies and scorch the earth. For in their rosy cheeks and fair hair burned the powerful rays of the broken cross. The winter wolf had indeed fought to the last man. Adolphus and his speechless mandrake descended one last time into the darkness. The yawning winter wolf, his belly now bloated with the souls of men, returned to his earthy sleep, into the cold earth for another thousand years. Over the eastern half of the shattered Turingi, the great uncle raised the red flag. In the west, under the tricolor banner of the island kingdom, flew the flags of its allies. Turingi awoke from its stupor to rebuild a city from bricks and debris. Adolphus's generals kneeled in chains before the prime lord. None had dared to beg quarter from the great uncle. With millions of his own citizens in a trail behind him, what mercy could they expect to find? We were stricken by black magic, the generals pleaded. What choice did we have? You have seen for yourself the ferocious wrath of the winter wolf. But the prime lord was a liberator, not a conqueror. His armies would rid the world of cruelty, not bring it upon the defeated. Those whose spell was now broken were given their lives. Those still afflicted by the winter wolf were quickly sacrificed to their earthen gods. The great uncle sneered at the prime lord's leniency. Muscovia's victory had come at an unspeakable cost to his people. The broken cross and its evil curse must never return, at any cost. To keep the people of Turingi from ever again uniting, that night, in the cover of darkness, his soldiers built a gruesome, gateless wall across the city. And so, the citizens of Turingi lived for generations, divided by a mark of disgrace. This ghoulish battle scar upon their own face was a constant reminder of their shameful legacy, so the world could once again live in peace. And what of the mighty winter wolf? Was he cast away for good? Not likely. For the earthen spirits, a thousand years is but a day. They will rest a while and wait, stalking the day that man lets his heart and mind astray. Believe not the artificial fire when its redness makes all things look ghastly. Tomorrow, in the natural sun, the skies will be bright. Those who glared like devils in the forking flames, the morn will show in far other, at least gentler, relief.
the glorious, golden-glad sun, the only true lamp, all others but liars. This is the story engine. The story is written and read by Tristan Verboven. That last quote was from Herman Melville, from Moby Dick. Additional production by Jeff Carley. And special thanks also to our technician, Sarah de Guzman.